Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marts and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, me, you idiot. Welcome back, everybody, to the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. I have got a very, very exciting guest for you today. His name is Jared Poyava, and he is an Academy Award-winning visual effects artist. Now, just a a couple episodes back, on episode number 10, I teased the fact that I was going to have an Academy Award-winning talent. Uh, Well, today is the payoff. Again, his name is Jared Poyava, and he is a visual uh, effects artist. And more than just being an Academy Award-winning visual effects artist, Jared also happens to be a terribly nice guy. And not only is he a terribly nice guy, he's also a terribly interesting guy with lots of great stories and some really cool experiences that I learned about during our conversation and which I'll be sharing with you all in just a few minutes. Before I tell you more about today's episode, uh, I just wanted to to reflect on a few things with you, if you'll indulge me. A, A few things to help put this this particular episode into context. Because you see, it's a funny thing about doing a podcast. Because like so many other artistic endeavors in my life, uh, nobody ever asked me to do a podcast. There was no, uh, there was no line of, of people standing at the door, banging it down, on their hands and knees, palms pressed together in prayer, begging me, Martin, please. What are you waiting for? We want a podcast starring you with your name in the title. Nobody was asking for that. I was just a fan of the medium. As I've told you guys before, I loved podcasts, and so I I decided that I wanted to do one almost exclusively just because it sounded like fun. So I wanted to try it. And then, uh, Soon after I started planning this podcast and putting things together and doing the research, uh, specifically doing you know, research on the technology that I would need in, in terms of you know, audio recording and you know, equipment, things of that nature, uh, I eventually started to uh, approach the reality that beyond just recording myself, I would need some sort of content. Like I couldn't just talk just for the sake of talking. I mean, I could, but you know. I don't know that anybody would really care about that. And even though I was doing this just for fun, I still liked the idea that people would actually listen to this and hopefully enjoy it. So, so in that vein, my hope was that uh, I, would, I would be able to get some guests. Um, and, you know, because, I, because I'm a writer and because I'm very well ingrained in the, uh, in the writing community, I, I had some friends that I knew that I could talk to along the way. And also throughout my life, I've been lucky enough to... To, to meet friends, you know, that are, you know, that work in television and movies, uh, as well as writing and, you know, other, other, other forms of, of creativity and entertainment that I figure, you know, when the time came, I'd be able to get them onto the show. But, but, you know, I would sit around and I would sort of think, I would just think about, you know, uh, what people I had available to me and, you know, who, who I could bring on the show that you guys would, would like. But then there was also the idea that, you know, if the show is, 
successful enough uh, and if, if people are interested enough in the show and it kind of hangs around for a little while, then maybe I would have the, the opportunity to, to interview people who I wasn't immediately friends with. Maybe people who uh, I'd never met before up until the moment I, I interviewed them. So to go from, you know, just having this idea to do a podcast that nobody was asking for, I was only doing it, uh, really, it, it, was, it was a labor of love. It was a passion project. It's something I was doing just because I was inspired to do it, but really and truly had no idea exactly what would come of it. And so to go from there to being only 12 episodes in, because uh, really, you know, for me, 12 episodes is epic. Because there was a time when I had zero episodes. <laughs> so, so you know, to have 12 episodes is really exciting. But to, to have on the 12th episode uh, a really cool and talented man who's actually won an Academy Award, well, holy shit. I just could not have imagined that. So, so right away, I wanted to share that idea just to give you some perspective on how exciting it was. For me to, to talk to, to Jared for this particular episode, to actually have him, you know, hang out in my apartment and just, just talk about movies and to learn about special effects and to, to hear some of his really great stories of some of the some of the different you know, actors and, and directors that he's had the opportunity to, to work with, you know, as a visual effects artist. And Jared and I spend some time, we talk about a handful of the movies he's worked on. We don't talk about everything on his resume because, quite frankly... That would be like a three-part episode just to talk about all the movies because, man, he has a really, really impressive resume of movies that he's worked on. Uh, let me tell you some of the movies he's worked on as a visual effects artist. Uh, he's worked on all three Final Destination movies. He worked on the movie Elf, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Core, Vertical Limit, Reindeer Games, Virus, The Faculty, What Dreams May Come, Godzilla, The Abyss, The Beastmaster, which I don't expect you to actually recognize the movie The Beastmaster because it's from 1982. And uh, in all honesty, I don't know how successful it was, you know, say box office wise. But I know that in, in my world, in, in the world of Little Martin, who was about five or six years old when it came out, that movie was very much at the center of my life. I adored the Beastmaster. So when I saw that movie on Jared's uh, resume, for me, that was probably the first movie that jumped out, even though he's got way more impressive movies on his resume. That one jumped out immediately. And in fact, before we even started recording, when we were just kind of, you know, standing around chit-chatting, and I saw the Beastmaster, man, my eyes lit up. And I asked him, is this the same Beastmaster that I'm thinking of? And, and of course, you know, there's no way for him to know which one I was thinking of. But I think he knew what I was getting at because he could tell that that, that this movie uh, was really special to me. And in fact, when, when we get into our conversation, especially once we start talking about movies, uh, I think the Beastmaster is actually the first movie that I ask him about. Because, again, you know, it's not the most impressive movie on the resume. But for me, uh, it was <laughs> it was really exciting to see that he'd actually worked on the Beastmaster. So we talked for a little while about that. Uh, but the big movie, probably the biggest movie on, on, on the list, because it's the one that he won uh, an Academy Award for, is Terminator 2, Judgment Day. He also worked on the first Terminator, but, you know, Terminator 2, 
uh, Judgment Day, directed by James Cameron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's that's the big movie. And so we do spend some time talking about that. Uh, and I also want to give you a, a little bit more context. Again, this is mostly context about me and why this interview was so exciting for me. Because, you know, when I was a kid, you know, right around 1990, 1991, uh, I was about 13 years old, 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, thereabouts. And right around that time, especially, you know, the early 90s, 1990, 1991, uh, there's a few, there's a handful of pop culture events that really stand out to me. Uh, They include, you know, the Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan in the main event of WrestleMania six. They include the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, both the, the comic book and the cartoon, and the and the feature film that came out right around that time, and it includes Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Because when I was a kid, you know, a, a preteen, um, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, it was a huge pop cultural phenomenon. Everybody was talking about Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And it felt like this huge mythical movie that if you had a chance to watch it, you had an experience, the sort of experience that doesn't come around very often. But I didn't get to watch it right away. I, d- I didn't see it when it came out. Uh, yeah, I didn't see it opening weekend. So I remember being at school and just, you know, being on the playground and being in class. And these kids were talking about Terminator 2 Judgment Day like they had just had a religious experience. And, you know, I remember seeing the commercials on TV and getting excited and being excited about it. Because especially at that age, any movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger made, I wanted to watch it. And uh, I remember uh, uh, my brother actually got to watch it before I did. You know, one of our one of our cousins who was older, you know, took him to watch it. Uh, And even listening to him talk about it, it just it just created this, you know, larger than life mythology of this movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day and oh man I couldn't wait to watch it and I don't even think I got to see it in the theater so I had to wait for it to come out on VHS and again at that time you know like nowadays you know a movie goes in the theater and if you know what like two weeks later you can get it on DVD it's it's almost instantaneous but you know there was a time when you know movies would go into the theater and once it was out of the theater you had to wait like a year year and a half, maybe sometimes longer than that before it ended up on, on VHS. So, so I remember finally getting to watch it on VHS and it was every bit as good as I wanted it to be. And and I, and I, and I think I had, you know, that same sort of cinematic, you know, religious experience. And so that, so this movie Terminator 2 has always kind of held a place in my imagination as being one of the, one of the benchmark, uh, you know, pop cultural events, you know, especially of my young life. So to then fast forward, you know, uh, 20-some-odd years later, and then I start a podcast, a podcast, again, that nobody was asking for. I was just doing it because it sounded like fun. And that because I started this podcast, because I now have this, uh, this audio medium that I'm working on, because it exists, it created a situation where I was actually able to sit down with Jared Poyava, a man who had actually worked on Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And then would later win, you know, an Academy Award for his contributions to the to the visual effects of that movie. So so, man, this this is, you know, I, I, I hope that I've done my part in really setting up how exciting this is for me and uh, really setting up what what a great conversation that I had with Jared. Uh, a few more things that uh, that I want to share with you. 
before I play the conversation is uh, I met Jared through Tim Chismar. So Tim Chismar, you'll probably remember from episode 11 because it was only a week ago. And uh, so Tim Chismar, if you remember from that interview, he's working on his directorial debut, uh, a film, a horror film called Naked Alien Massacre. And so uh, so Jared is uh, he's part of the film. He's uh, he's working with Tim as a as a consultant, as a visual effects consultant. But he's also going to be working in the film as an actor, because along with uh, being a a visual effects artist, uh, Jared, he's also an actor, both voice acting and, you know, screen acting. And, you know, he does stage acting. He's a very, very talented fellow, as you're going to find out very soon. And so uh, so I actually uh, I, I, I talked with Jared on the same day that I talked to Tim. So so while I'm talking to Jared, even though we're having a one-on-one conversation, uh, Tim is in the background. And even if I didn't tell you Tim was in the background, you would have figured it out soon enough because, <laughs> because you know, because Tim, uh, uh, he finds a couple of moments to, to get involved with the, with, with the conversation, uh, you, you know, from the background because, you know, uh, Tim is just such a, such a, a funny, uh, energetic guy. I don't think there was any way for him to be in the same room and, uh, and, and not chime in at some point. So that was actually a lot of fun. So, so I, won't, I won't tell you when and where, but you can expect to hear Tim uh, at various points throughout the, the conversation. So anyway, that's, that's, that's enough of me talking by myself. Let me go ahead and play you my conversation with the very talented, the very kind, the very charming, the very cool... Academy Award winning visual effects artist, Jared Poyama. First of all, thanks for having me uh, on your podcast. This is really great. Oh, this is a huge honor for me, but go ahead. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I was just, we were just talking about uh, the books we love and uh, I do voiceover work and yeah. stuff. And um, I recently did put a new piece on my, my voiceover reel where I'm reading from Fever Dream, which is uh, George R.R. R. Martin's vampire oh, story, cool. okay. which is a, a, one of the best vampire stories I think I've ever read mm-hmm. because it's, um, it's about, it takes place in the south on the Mississippi River right. on river boats. And he, his research about, you know, riverboat technology and what was going on is, was, was obviously vast. You know, they came up with all these things. Yeah. And it's a vampire story, but it's more a story about the Mississippi River and the culture of the middle of the 19th century than it is about vampires. Yeah. But the vampires are there, and the, they're wonderfully drawn. You know, um, many of the traditional laws of vampire lore yeah. uh, are broken. Uh, uh-huh. And others are, you know, uh, shored up. And he he played some serious games with That's it, cool. and all to very good effect. His stu- he doesn't tend to leave loose ends. Yeah, what which was is that why it takes more time because I want to check that out. It's called Fever Dream. Okay, F E V R E. And that's the name of this particular yeah. paddle wheeler. That, that sounds uh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the I love those types of stories with the like I love um, uh, like with the Walking Dead. One of my favorite things about it is you know that the you know the, like the the zombies are the thing but it's really you know the the stories it really it, it sort of becomes a non-traded story about these people and mm-hmm. how they sort of interact and how they sort of respond to this crazy apoc- apocalyptic situation so the zombies get you there but really it's not really about them i love that type of stuff so i'll have to check that one out oh yeah that's why i love warm bodies i thought warm bodies was one of the best oh, zombie yeah. things i've ever seen because oh, I loved that one. it approached it from 
a traditional angle, and yeah. it also produced it uh, or approached it from you know a completely novel angle. Yeah. And I love the fact because I, I'm I'm a serious romantic at heart. <laughs> you know, uh, I thought that it was wonderful that in the end, love truly does conquer all. I thought, wow, how cool yeah. is that? You know, yeah, finally, right. you know, it's it's not just this ugly dark, and then they all died horribly <laughs> you know it's like okay fine we all die in the end but you know let's can we sunny it up just a bit you know <laughs> I, I love that too very sweet uh, sweet story sweet uh, sweet finish to that one so uh so right before we, we started recording um i was kind of asking you about or kind of asking you about that that bridge where you know for for uh, a few of us if we're if we're very fortunate we find ourselves in a position where we can engage in some sort of artistic craft that we enjoy, but then also sort of get a, get a paycheck for it. But before we got paid for it, there was a time where we did it just because we loved it. And there was some spark that admit that sort of got this going. Uh, so for you, especially with the, um, you know, special, special effects and special effects makeup. Um, uh, well, actually, I don't know. Assume I, I, I might've even got that part wrong, but uh, kind of where did that start for you? That spark of before you started doing it professionally, uh, where did you just kind of discover that this is something you enjoyed? Well, as far as I can tell, it's something that I have always been interested in, literally, ever since I was just a little tiny kid. Um, because when I when I was in first grade, I was, of course, in the, the various plays. Yeah. And um, I have never, ever experienced a single second of stage fright in my entire wow. life. I get, <laughs> that makes one of I us. get anxious. Okay. Um, but I don't get that paralyzing, you know, flop sweat fear yeah um usually that comes afterwards and I, you know and, and i'm like well gee did that was that as wonderful as as i thought it was you know i can't tell but um i actually started out uh as a little kid writing my own stories making yeah. puppets and costumes um writing songs doing little songs and dances and my very first paid gig as a professional was i was a little kid I was probably, I guess it was like seven, mm -hmm. you know, and um, uh -huh. my mom and I had made a, a a wonderful little, you know, top hat and strange mustache magic act, you know, really <laughs> classic old time, but old school, you know, yeah. 19th century, you know, mountebank, you know, magician, right? And so that was my little outfit with all this stuff. And, um, and I was doing a show for, uh, you know, one of my friend's birthday parties because it was just something that I did. And yeah. everybody thought I was funny. And I told jokes and I had little stuff come out of the hat and did magic tricks and whatnot. Well, one of the dads there was the booking guy for, I guess, like the Lions Club or the Elks Club or something, oh, his little cool. Elks group. And he said, well, you know, he, he asked my mom, well, you know, would, would Jared want to do something for my group? And she goes, I don't know. I'm not his agent. Ask him. <laughs> and he asked me and, you know, I was going to get like, you know, a whopping hundred bucks. Do you know how many model kits you can buy for a hundred bucks? And uh, so I was very excited and uh, I did my show there and. Uh, and that, um, and, and I, I just, that's cool. I, I just love storytelling Yeah. and being an actor is an intrinsic part of being a storyteller. Oh yeah. A good storyteller is, is a good actor. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's just the story of it. Um, and, um, I have, uh, a number of years ago I was working, I was art directing the models for, a, for Pluto Nash mm -hmm. and we were up in Canada, we were in Montreal and they had a, uh, the very first ever uh, 
Celtic Festival okay. in Montreal at the old insane the old insane asylum. Strangely <laughs> enough, and so there was this wonderful festival. And of all of the things, the two things that I remember the most were the fact that they had a big wicker man that they actually burned, which was <laughs> awesome. And there was this black Irish guy, you know, dark curly <laughs> hair with these piercing blue eyes, you know, who told a story for a solid hour. It was oh, one man, story awesome. about. Uh, an Irish barber and the haircut that he has to give the bishop for the bishop's big, you know, sermon or whatever. And his hands are shaking because he's, you know, he's hung over and it's, and I, li I was on the edge of my seat for the solid hour. And it's like listening to the world's longest shaggy dog story because when it was all done, you know, the bishop has the button at the end, but and it's over. And you're like, wow, I just sat here enthralled for a solid hour and listened to this guy just talk about a haircut. It was amazing because it's all these little digressions, yeah. but they don't, they all weave yeah. the, the fabric of the story. And um, and that's one of the reasons I'm a, I'm a big George Martin fan. I'm a complete Game of Thrones geek. Yeah. Uh, because first of all, it's so well written. Um, I've read all the books. Oh, I'm working, few, working on my second reading through. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's one of those um, that I, <laughs> I I don't have access to HBO recently, so I haven't seen it yet. But it's pretty much on the top of my list of as uh, as soon as I can, I want to watch that. It's fantastic. The the acting is is amazing. Um, one of the characters is a dwarf, mm -hmm. and played by Peter Dinklage. Oh yeah, it was an great. amazing actor. Yeah. I mean, walking away, I don't care what how tall he is, what he is, he's a fantastic actor, yeah. and he brings a, he brings a very very strong presence and a very um, a very um, intellectual mm -hmm. presence to the show, and it's pretty clear that um, George Martin. Uh, sort of sees Tyrion as his, you know, intellectual alter ego, you know, because he's the little guy who, you know, is always getting, you know, crapped on, yeah. and yet he still gets him in the end somehow. You know, he always outwits them because he's so smart. You know? That's cool. And that's pretty wonderful. Yeah. So, Yeah, I, I always imagine, um, as far as acting goes, um, and especially since you've done some acting, you could probably speak to this better than I can, but I always kind of imagine that there's, well, two types of actors, I imagine. There's like an actor who's really great at sort of maybe like creating a, a character and uh, presenting, you know, genuine emotions. And they can sort of get inside that character, but maybe don't have any real context for how this character fits in the story. And I imagine another an, an, another actor, maybe they've got a sort of sense of storytelling. And not only can they create a, a character, but they also know how this character is affecting the overall story and how this scene is affecting the overall story. And that that knowledge of the story will sort of affect uh, their their performance. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's again just just like a theory that I've had, but I wonder if you had any thoughts on that. Well, actually, it's interesting that you say that because um, um, having been an actor my entire life, and having known many, many, many actors, um, some of whom are towering intellectual people yeah. and tremendous genius wits and amazing you know creative people and then there are other people who just happen to be really good at faking it <laughs> uh and um it's about a 50 50 mix as far as i can tell interesting um you know approaching a role as an actor you or at least for me anyway yeah. um i like to have as much information about the character before i begin work on the character yeah. as possible um <clears throat> 
not always true. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, uh, we were just talking about Game of Thrones. I saw a bit of a fan piece that that some of the actors were being interviewed, mm-hmm. and of the actors that were being interviewed, none of them had read any of the books. Oh wow! Um, one of them was uh, is the little girl who plays the character Arya. Okay. And because of the adult themes of a lot of the books, her mother sure. has read the books and was telling her about them. You okay. know, I'm sure adroitly editing, you know, the the gr- really seriously grisly bits and the really nasty sex bits and all of that. Um, but um, and because but they just didn't. Um, it's it. I can't imagine that myself. Yeah, me neither. Um, for instance, um, you know, in Lord of the Rings, uh, Sean Bean you know, read all the books and he was a fan of the books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they brought him in to play, you know, uh, Boromir, he, yeah. you know, he just tore the cover off the ball as <laughs> in, in, in what is kind of a thankless role. Yeah. Um, and that's because he understood who Boromir was. Yeah. So I tried to do that. I tried to figure out who is this guy? What is this guy? With, um, for instance, I just did a, a little fan flick of, uh, uh, for for Tim Chismer, yeah, uh, which is co- with a uh, Constantine with a wonderful actor, uh, Nigel McGuinness. Oh yeah, yeah and yeah. Um, working with him was great because he gives it back. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with a lot of actors that, as long as the camera's on them, they're a powerhouse. The minute it's your scene, right. they could care less. <laughs> and um, that's not true of Nigel. He's yeah. a very giving actor, and so that that's the that's the way I feel about it. Is that you have to bring it. Yeah. And you have to find out who the deal, who is the character, you know, what is the character, what does the character, how does the character function within the the, the milieu mm-hmm. of the story, and then tell the story from that. Yeah. Um, and so what I did with this is that I played the character of Nurgle, the demon, mm-hmm. and uh, who's 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 possessed the body of some biker thug, right? <laughs> and um, and it's a it's a it's a great little little fan flick. It's wonderful. And uh, so I read the lines and, you know, just reading on the first reading, I'm thinking, wow, this is some dark stuff, you know, (laughs) really dark stuff. We're talking about, you know, cannibalism and child molestation and all this stuff. You know, it's very dark stuff. And I got to thinking, well, God, if I do it like this, this is going to depress the crap out of me. That's for sure. (laughs) And it's probably going to depress the crap out of everybody else. So I got to think, well, what can I do with this? And I got to think, well, you know, there's actually a lot of black humor here. Uh If I go for this as a as a you know just do this as this you know sort of vaguely humorous kind of character <laughs> he's vaguely amused by the fact that you know human being skin you know burns off he's he's a sicko the guy he's a demon he's a thousand years old who knows how old he is and he's he's weird and so i brought this sort of strange kind of cosmic clown thing to it <laughs> That's awesome. to make it more um even more weird you know to just say things are very dark and I'm really scary. <laughs> well, okay, that can be scary. But to go, you know, <laughs> things are really dark and scary, especially when I play with myself. You know, those kinds of things make you know make the audience go, ooh, boy, that's weird. And that's what we want. Yeah. We want the goosebumps that come oh, yeah. from true creeped outness, not just, oh my God, big rubber face, you know? <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited about that because I was... Uh, uh, well, you, you, were, know, I, uh, you were a, a, a uh, talented uh, cameo. <laughs> I remember my, my little cameo spot. And and I remember seeing you. Like, we met briefly. You were getting uh, your makeup done, so we met briefly. And then I went to my spot. I didn't want to disturb anybody. But, I, uh, uh, but I, I wasn't there long enough to actually see you perform. So I'm actually very excited to see the film once it's ready to actually see uh, your performance. I'm very excited about that. I think you will enjoy it. 
almost as much as I did. <laughs> Speaking of, I was going to get into the, uh, the the visual effects, but but you just reminded me with the, with that great voice that you do voiceover work, right? That's right. Uh, you That's uh, you right. want to talk a, a little bit about that? Like you do. Well, well, go ahead and tell me. I was going to ask what kind of you do, but you can tell me. Well, that. Um, I basically do anything that somebody will pay me for, <laughs> or uh, will, um, or will, or or work with people that I love working with or like working with. Um, it was very serendipitous that I met Tim mm-hmm. Chismer. Uh, we met through a mutual friend, Katarina Lee Waters, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, she and I have been writing on some stuff together because uh, I'm also a writer. I mean, if you're a storyteller, you're a writer. I think I, I agree you, you with that. You can't. Yeah. I, I can't separate the two. I, I agree. You like um, different mediums, but it's all storytelling. It's all storytelling. I mean, you're either a, profig- a profligate liar uh, <laughs> and you're a great storyteller or you're a writer, which is sort of the same thing. you know. Uh, but yeah, and uh, I kind of forgot where I was going with that. I'm sorry. but No, uh, no, that's all right. I, I think a voiceover work. A voiceover work. Um, I've done all kinds of different things. I did uh, when Hurricane Katrina um, happened. I did a PSA for free uh, for um, rescue victims and oh, cool. to, to for people to give rescue. And for that, I um, they they liked what I had done because I had I, I also do audio stuff mm-hmm. because I'm a musician. I'm you know I write songs and I play oh, music cool. and whatnot. So I have some, you know, skill with recording equipment. No, yeah. I'm not great by yeah. any means, you know. Um, I'm no Chim Jaquette, you know, that guy's <laughs> a genius. But, uh, you know, I, I can get by. Yeah. And so I came up with this concept of the Big Easy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they had given me some copy, which was just mawkish and horrible. And so I said, do you mind if I have a shot at writing this? And they were like, go ahead. So I wrote this thing, which starts out. And, and I thought, well, what kind of a voice should it have? And, I, you know, of course, I do all sorts of southern accents mm-hmm. because, you know, my people are from the southern end of the Midwest and the northern end of the Midwest. So okay. I have, you know, I understand that Midwest, you know, that little funny little soft thing that Midwestern <laughs> people do. It's not quite a southern accent. So then I, I decided, well, that's not quite it. So I wound up doing basically doing Jimmy Carter. And, you know, things aren't quite so easy in the Big Easy anymore. Hurricane Katrina has destroyed the lives of many people. You know, so it was one of those kind of deals. And um, then I've also done the, come on down to John's Furniture Warehouse. Buy now, buy now, buy now. You know, um, and, uh, you know, but the ones that I really like are the ones that are um, unusual and and you get to do fun things with. Yeah. And I've I've always liked um, I've always loved gothic novels and you know I'm a, I'm just a huge fan of of, of those kinds of things yeah. you, know, uh, you know Poe and and you know the whole Cthulhu thing sure, and all, yeah. all that stuff it, because it speaks to that that strangeness within all of our souls you know maybe not everybody has that maybe it's just those of us who are just sick crazy people yeah it makes sense to me so I assume <laughs> I, I think that's it yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm very sorry that I haven't had a chance to read your book, although I will. Oh, that's all right. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> well, I love, uh, you know, things about uh, odd, odd people and yeah. unusual, strange people is very interesting because the weirdness within even the most common, ordinary person is much more than you imagine. My friend Jason says, oh, yeah, everybody seems pretty normal until you really get to know them. <laughs> and that's very true. Uh, yeah. You, know, you yeah, meet people, it's like, hi, I'm Jim Jim from, you know, the car dealership. And you turn out that, you know, he's a wife swapping, you know, uh, cross-dressing, <laughs> right. uh, you know, Confederate reenactor. And it's like, what? You know. Yeah. So. No, I agree. Yeah, like in my novel, it, it touches on that a little bit. Like there, there is this, uh, 
you know, the cult up in the mountains and they're, and they're cannibals and you see a lot of the creepy stuff there. Uh, and as the book progresses and you get in the, you know, some of the, the story goes into more of a, a mainstream area. And then you see just some regular everyday people uh, are so much more awful, evil and gruesome than any of the cannibals <clears throat> up in the mountains. So that's definitely an idea that I, that I uh, uh, resonates with me. It's like found its way in the book for sure. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I was going to, okay, so I was, so I know that you're a, a visual uh, effects artist mm-hmm. and um, I imagine that the, that's maybe something of an umbrella and that probably, there's probably more than one. Uh, well, visual effects, I, um, I, I started getting, I got into, I got into acting, visual effects, the whole thing kind of all at once because um, I, I made little films with my dad when I was a, a little kid. He wasn't much good as a cameraman, but you know he took direction well. <laughs> so uh, I discovered that the camera we had had a, had a single frame function. Okay. And so I started, I'm, I was like eight, you know, seven, eight years old. And I started shooting these little stop motion films, you know, oh, where cool, I was doing yeah. magic tricks, like where I would like put my magic <laughs> wand through a brick, uh-huh. you know, and, and they were very, cause my dad really didn't get the idea and I was very frustrated, you know, so I understand, you know, uh, the director, the director's, you know, frustration and also having directed a few things myself, yeah. you know, you, you, you know, can't you just fucking read my mind? Okay. What's wrong with you actors? Don't you understand what I want? you to do how come you can't make this and uh so that was always fun but yeah. i got into theater uh, i started out as a dancer i, w- I okay. grew very very fast as a kid i went from being very short to being very tall in a very short period of time <laughs> i was six feet tall with a size 13 shoe in the sixth grade oh wow so i was a little clumsy i had a lot of issues because you know some of the kids really gave me a hard time sure. and then i threw a kid out the window and all that stopped <laughs> Uh, so that was sort of interesting. I'm gonna have to come back to that, but I want to cut you off. So <laughs> that's fine. But so theater. I, I started out as a dancer. Um, I, I learned to do all kinds of you know physical stuff like that. Yeah. And um, when I was, I went to Long Beach State College uh, in the early '70s, uh, and I met a uh, a professor who was teaching the theater mm-hmm. department, and I I was in the honors program and. Uh, wanted to major in art and minor in English mm-hmm. because of course I love the spoken word yeah. I love the written word um, and English is very very important to me um, but uh, you know I he said you know you really should come down because I did all these funny voices because yeah. I've always been doing <laughs> you know, well I remember back in 1901 <laughs> there was these three guys you know and I love doing those voices Ah, yes. And uh, I, uh, he's just reminded me of something that I actually brought for you, which I think maybe I'll... Should I lay it on him now? Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> You're talking about designing for films. Uh, what I have for you here is we were talking about Godzilla meets Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Here is one of Godzilla's eggs, Oh, my actually, goodness. for you. The, this, these are one of the ones that was actually in the film. I remember this egg. It was in um, the Madison Square Garden shot where we, the Madison Square Garden was filled with these eggs yeah. and they blew Madison Square Garden up. We did that at... Uh, at it's uh, excellent! <laughs> you, you couldn't help yourself. Extreme. <laughs> Makes me ecstatic. It's a good crack. <laughs> well, the yoke's on you, buddy. <laughs> Uh, Tim is a horrible influence on you. <laughs> I'm all shelled out now. So. 
<laughs> I'll just go home and sit on my Oh, ass. this is so super cool. And this, so anyway, this was actually oh that was God. actually filmed in the film. So that please is en- awesome. Please enjoy that. For, it, uh, so for the uh, obviously, you guys are listening. You can't hear it. I'm uh, I'm actually holding uh, one of Godzilla's eggs that was actually uh, in the movie. This is uh, this is uh, about the best thing that's happened to me. Not not even just all day. In, a, in, in an awfully long, don't tell my family. <laughs> in an awfully long time, this is so super cool. That's really bad. I'm glad and, you like it. Um, uh, and because you guys can't see it, it uh, the egg is about the size of my apartment. I'm just really strong, and um, that's actually not true. Or your apartment is just really small. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but this is a but but this would be an example, I guess, of a miniature. I guess. Yes. Um. So and so this this is part of what you do. It's what I. It's one of the things that I did. I I started out actually, I guess professionally. You would say. I mean, obviously, my my little gig as a kid was professional in the sense that I was paid. But it was a long time before I got another paycheck to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I wound up working with a group of very talented actors at a a group called the Company Theater. Okay. And um, we uh, premiered a lot of the Michael McClure plays, which were these absurdist. Uh, very bizarre, you know, surreal, um, existential kind of strange mm-hmm. plays. And, um, you know, I played everything from, you know, uh, a soldier to a, uh, you know, a, a, a guy in a big pink mouse suit uh, in one of Michael's <laughs> plays. And I, I had met the, this professor I was saying at Long Beach State. And um, Michael Sheehan, and he, he's an interesting, interesting cat. He's sort of a conceptual artist and an actor. And, uh, he said, you know, you really have to come down and, and like audition for our children's theater department because you've, you've got you do like 150 voices and you do weird stuff. You're a puppeteer. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, you got to come down. Yeah. So I went down and I met the guy who was in charge of the children's theater program, a guy named Rogers Barnes, who has passed sorrowly. Yeah, and uh, he said, oh, great. Perfect. You know, because he knew that he could throw me into anything because he saw the, the puppets that I had made. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I learned to sew when I was a little kid because I was helping my mom make my costumes and all this and making puppets. I mean, I've always been interested in, in homunculi, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, the weans. Um, I've even, to a certain degree, on a metaphysical level, experienced the little people when I was uh, living in Mexico. But that's a whole other story. That sounds like a whole and, uh, other yeah. story. And uh, in just in case you're wondering, drugs were not involved <laughs> that time. Anyway, uh, so I began doing doing shows with them, and they started saying, "Wow, you know, we like what you do." And I started designing stuff for the show, designing shows, and designing costumes, and designing. Uh, because I'd always done my own makeup because I had read every book on the old film monster guys, you know, yeah. Lon Chaney Jr., Boris Karloff, yeah. all these guys who back in the day, they were punching new new holes in the universe. They were finding <laughs> ways to do stuff. Yeah. You know, um, and so I tried some of the old techniques that I read about that they had tried, yeah. the things that they did, and uh, like using the uh, a little teeny piece of egg white albumen mm-hmm. as a as a call over an over an eye as a glazed <laughs> eye you know um don't try it unless you rinse it first because it will burn oh. like hell <laughs> i'm told by women who have had this happen to them that it's like getting jizz in your eye <laughs> so i wouldn't know but they do uh, uh, tim can you vouch for that yes he does know <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> I'm trying to be the masculine voice of reason here. You know, I can be masculine too. <laughs> Not in those pink house slippers. <laughs> I'll be in the bedroom. <laughs> 
I'll bring the whip. <laughs> so anyway, that that was how I started out doing stuff, and and I started doing little things, mm-hmm. you know, little parts, because I was a you know young actor, and they were, you know, uh, they were all USC grads, yeah. and um, you know many of them were Trustafarians, mm-hmm. and so they could do afford to do theater mm-hmm. and not really make money, Got and that it. was fine. Um, I had to make a living somehow, yeah. and through that theater, I met a guy by the name of Vincent Cressman, and mm-hmm. Vince Cressman. Uh, was an art director uh, more or less all the time at Universal Studios. He worked everywhere, but okay. you know, he worked all over. And at the time that I met him, he was working for Roger Corman. Oh, cool. And he said, man, I love the things you make. Would you be interested in making some stuff for me for this movie? Well, in this movie was Death Race 2000. Oh, cool. And he said, well, can you make weapons? I said, I can make anything. You know, I, I'm a machinist. My grandfather was a machinist. He was a master machinist mm-hmm. um, and uh, engineer for General Motors. He designed the thing that keeps your hood up without a stick, <laughs> uh, which they paid him $1,000 for back in the day. Um, wow. Yeah, considering that they yeah. made Yeah, millions. I was going to say. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I have that kind of, you know, hand use thing. And so I made, you know, a dart gun that would shoot a six-inch dart through a piece of plywood or a door. Yeah. And when Vince gave it to Roger, Roger said, oh, we can't give this to an actor. <laughs> he just kept it, you know, <laughs> in his desk. There's no way, which made me sad. But I did a lot of other stuff. They were big animal trophies. I did Death Race 2000, Death Sport 2020. Um, and I was totally hooked because those productions were low budge super low budge i mean we were talking about things where we would have a a truck full of scenery we would drive out someplace we would shoot the scenes at the end of the scene there would be a big fire we would have to pack up all the trucks and make sure everything was ready to go the trucks were warm and running the cameras would be sitting on the tailgates of the truck (laughs) photographing and we would the fire boom and we would get the hell out of there (laughs) kind of the 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 john woo style of where in hong kong they set fire to stuff and let the fire department take care of it (laughs) and so we did a few things like that um you know and and um, i got used to that and that felt like theater to me because in the theater i would come in in the morning and we would build on the set, you know, mm-hmm. and I would paint stuff. I'm also a scenic artist and a sculptor and all these other things. And so I would be doing all these different things, making costumes and, you know, figuring out the makeup and hats and whatever. And then um, after doing that all day, then I would go home, take a shower, take a nap, throw on my costume, come back to the theater and be in the show. Or I'd be running the lighting or yeah. I would be doing the special effects if we had like, you know, flash effects or smoke or whatever. Yeah. And so this is very much the same kind of thing. And, and, and one of the things that I regret about how the movie business has changed mm-hmm. is that it's no longer that way. Mm-hmm. It's no longer as much of a family uh, thing as it used to be. I mean, it is on some occasional productions. I mean, I've worked on things that were like that. Yeah. But it's become so codified, if mm-hmm. you will. And, you know, everyone has a little niche job that they do and that's it, nothing else. And um, I sort of miss that freewheeling, you know, yeah. oh, oh, hey, you're a big guy. Why don't you, hey, can you be here, put this costume on and you run over here and hit him. You know, I love that stuff. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love about working with Tim mm-hmm. and, and this little group of, of, of talented actors and directors and whatnot is that it's for me, it's getting back to the root of it to yeah. me, the, the soul of it. And it's like the money is really secondary mm-hmm. because it's not if it's about the money why don't you just get a big job you know oh yeah go do a corporate gig you know yeah. sell out be a tool and you're fine <laughs> um actually nobody's asking me to do that so you know i, I say that basically I mean, you know well in any okay then keep your millions you know uh 
But I genuinely love that moment when the penny drops, when you're working with some people and I get to show somebody something Mm -hmm. and they go, oh, oh, like that. Wow. I love that wow moment probably as much as anything. I love having that moment when I see something and I'm go, that's how that works. (laughs) Or when I show something to someone else and they go, oh, my God, that, that is that how that works? That's for me. That's it. Yeah. You know, and as an actor, I get to do that with personality i get mm-hmm. to do that with you know s- with spirit or intellect or whatever yeah. and physicality you know when you're working in a very physical show with other actors where you're touching each other and you're really close one of the things i learned in theater was that when you can actually make physical contact with other actors you have a different kind of a relationship mm. automatically that's and um, you know, um, there's there's you know obviously there's you know some of the old school people like Viola Spolin with theater games and whatnot. I expanded on that. I taught a couple of little classes where we were doing you know acting and you know making sounds and doing you know uh, making instruments that aren't instruments. You know making you know didgeridoos out of plastic tubing yeah. and things of that sort. And I, I love that kind of thing because coming at it from a bunch of different angles. And producing something that is different and unique, or at least fun, mm-hmm. is is what I'm all about. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds awesome. Are these guys give me a chance to do that. Yeah, yeah, because you're working on um, a Naked Alien Massacre. Correct. And, and what's uh, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, do you have a, a specific role in that production? Well, I'm technically the uh, effects consultant. Okay. Uh, because I'm kind of, my time is sort of limited. I'm working right now with a photographer who works in a 19th with a 19th century camera, oh, wow. and we we shoot. Uh, uh, wet collodion plates oh, that's cool. and he i'm helping him put together his book which is fabulous his name is stephen berkman and um, he's an amazing photographer he, he makes his images are humorous and peculiar mm-hmm. and um fortunately we've been working together for the last couple of years that sounds cool and i've been able to fabricate all these you know i made a pair of wooden roller skates you know uh, <laughs> that were functional and i had to defunctionalize them because the actors couldn't stand still <laughs> uh and things like that so again i i, I still get to do fun stuff yeah no, that's super cool. So, um, I'm, I'm so I'm looking at uh, your your. Uh, He's also playing a character. Yes. Oh, I'm, is that okay? Good. I'm also good. I'm also playing a character. <laughs> is it uh, uh, is it uh, is it a relatively big role or what? Yes, it's actually a fairly good sized role, oh, and good. so I'm very excited about doing it because, again, it's another psycho. <laughs> and uh, those are great roles. I'm, I don't know whether uh, Tim wants to give away all these things, but uh, yeah, it's it's very exciting because he's freaky, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the character and Tim. Well, so, yes, that <laughs> goes without saying. <clears throat> uh, so, uh, so anyway, so right before we uh, recorded, I was uh, I was just taking a gander at your uh, IMDb uh, uh, filmography, and the first movie that caught my attention. Um, I, I don't know how many of my listeners would recognize it, but it, it, it right away uh, just struck me in the heart is the Beastmaster. Because <laughs> yeah. when I was uh, when I was a kid, that movie was. Very, I think I must have. If I didn't watch it every day, I watched it close to it. Wow! So, in any anything, anything you can tell me about the Beastmaster would uh, help me sleep well tonight. I could probably tell you four hours of stories about the Beastmaster, <laughs> because the the Beastmaster was a really fun movie for me to do, because it was early on in my career, and um, I was fortunate enough to be the assistant to Michael Miner, okay. a, a fabulous art director that we lost to 
AIDS. Mm. Um, in the 80s, art departments were just destroyed mm. by AIDS. And we lost some very, very talented people. And I'm sorry that those people are gone, not only because I miss them, yeah. but because I think movies would be better <laughs> if oh. they were still around. <laughs> uh, but um, so the Beastmaster. Um, Working with Mark Singer was cool because yeah. Mark was a very nice guy. Yeah. He's very, very cool. And uh, there were many weird things that transpired on the picture. Um, Rip Torn's nose, if you've noticed, keeps changing shape all the time <laughs> uh, because they applied the makeup differently every time and it looked weird. And he, uh, We had some very hysterical moments on this thing. Um, I, I got a chance to work in pretty much all the departments. Oh, it was cool. just really awesome. You don't usually get a chance to do that. That's mm -hmm. what I'm saying. It's like back in the day, yeah. we got to do that. Now you don't. Um, <clears throat> and because uh, this was before I was, you know, in the in the, the prop makers union and okay. all that. And um, so I one story that's pretty funny is I was out on location uh, on the union oil fields and we got a phone call, um, a frantic phone call from the stage, which was in North Hollywood. It was a warehouse with, you know, pillars in it. Okay. So we had to build things around the damn pillars. It was really a pain. <laughs> um, but in the film, um, there are these these creatures that are created by pouring strange liquid in their ear mm -hmm. or something. Oh, I remember those yeah. fuckers. And the guy who was slated to do the gag was actually one of the um, one of the Jun warriors. Mm -hmm. And we were shooting the Jun warriors out on location. So they grabbed a PA, this big strapping kid, and they uh -huh. threw him in the outfit because they have a big helmet on, you can't tell. And they decided they were going to run him down the hallway. And I had built this giant, thick, heavy-looking door. It was all balsa wood. You know, you could have pushed <laughs> it. A bunny could have knocked this door down. And, you know, for those who are not familiar uh, with how special effects are done, if you do a breakaway door like that, it's very fragile. It, look, it may look like it's got iron straps and everything, but it is going to fall apart. <laughs> so what you do is you build a frame, a wooden frame, mm -hmm. that it sits in, and you paint that frame usually like day-glow orange uh -huh. so that people will know, safety, be careful, don't touch this. Right? You usually put labels all over it, you know. And what they had done is apparently the people that – because there were a lot of very amateur talent on this thing. <laughs> uh -huh. Apparently they hadn't realized that the frame was supposed to be removed. So oh, no. they got the scenic artist to quickly paint the frame brown, and they rushed this poor bastard down the hallway. He hit the thing, and he cold-cocked himself, knocked oh, himself no. out, 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 laid himself out. And so I get this phone call, that breakaway door doesn't work. And I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't work? You, you shouldn't be able to take the frame. If you, you have to take the frame off carefully. I did, did it fall apart when you took the frame off? Long pause. <laughs> frame? Yeah, that... Bright orange, big, heavy frame that I built. Long pause. Really long pause. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. And I was like, oh. And I found out the whole story the next day when I came to work. And this poor guy <laughs> got <laughs> creamed. Um, and the little ferrets were awesome to work with. They were so cute. Oh, I love those guys. You know, Pogo and Dodo or whatever their names are. I can't remember now. <laughs> poor Mark having to deliver, you know, you look like a Momo, so I'm going to call you a Dodo <laughs> and a Pope and boo boo boo. And, you know, bless him. Um, there were many, many gaffes that happened on that show. They left all the principal talent out on the boat in the lake and went to lunch. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. I bet they appreciated uh, John Amos punched a window out of the bus because he was no so kidding. Busy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also had a guy who was the the weapons guy, Vic Anselmo, and he made all the the, the swords and knives and things. And his work is amazing. We shared um, a, 
uh, part of the the construction studio. Uh-huh. You know, his his little knife making corner was not very big, yeah. and we had the the miniatures were actually very big. We made a lot of big miniatures oh, okay. for that show. A couple of big hanging miniatures of the little town of Emer, and uh, you know, then the big village uh, of Aruk. You know, mm. and. Um, there was it was such a comedy of errors. There were so many of them. <laughs> anyway, Vic Anselmo made the the Mark's sword, that the beautiful sword. Well, nobody had, Vic had never done a movie before, and nobody told him that you don't make a steel sword, a, and you don't <laughs> b make it razor sharp. And so one night I was working late because um, I had formed a little company to make things on the weekends and at night that they had forgotten, which were you know, protein. Yeah. There was lots of stuff that they didn't say, Oh God, we need that for tomorrow. Okay. You know, and I get a couple of buds and we throw together, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so he handed me the sword. And he goes, you're try it. You know, you're a sword guy. You know, like, I thought, God, this is beautiful. And I'm touching the blade thing. And man, this is razor sharp. And there was a four by four leaning up against the wall. And I just gave it a big swing and chopped it right in half. Holy it was like, Oh my God. I said, Vic, you've got to take this edge off of this. And I said, in a steel blade, I don't think is going to be the right thing. So eventually they wound up putting an aluminum blade mm-hmm. on it. But almost everybody on the show bought <laughs> knives from Vic and Selma because they oh, were awesome. they're wicked, scary, fabulous items. <laughs> there were just, you know, endless things. It's like the stunt performers had gotten sick of being in the tar moat. <laughs> they took off all their armor and left it in the tar moat. Oh, no. Now, they did that because they were upset with the producer and the director. But unfortunately, the dirt fell on the poor wardrobe girls who had oh. to wade out there in their wetsuits and fish out all that stuff and rinse it off. So we had a great time. I mean, we, awesome. we, we did. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. I, I worked with a, a couple of very talented people. And, uh, and uh, it, was, it was just a great time. That's awesome. I, uh, well, in, a, in, a, in a, one of my previous episodes, I kind of did a, basically sort of a, an Academy Awards episode. Because since I was a, a kid myself, my family, we love, we love watching uh, the awards. We love the speeches and the the fancy clothes and the the pomp and circumstance. And we and we really get sort of I really get into it. But you know, whenever I watch the Academy Awards, it's always sort of like you know, it, it always feels like a like a like a separate world. It's like mm-hmm. there's sort of a wall between me and them, and it's cool watching it. But I'm never I would never actually touch it. But you, on the other hand. Uh, or have actually been on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you mind uh, talking about that for me? Oh, not at all. It's it's kind of a neat experience. Um, you know, as you know, when I was working for a company called Fantasy Two Film Effects, mm-hmm. uh, Gene Warren Jr. owned it. Gene Warren Sr. was the guy who did um, the original Time Machine, the old black and white version. His okay. father had done all the effects, uh, miniatures, and effects okay. for that. And working with Gene was a real education. It was really interesting. It's through him that I met Mike Miner, um, and coincidentally. Um, uh, there was a, uh, a sci-fi porno film made, <laughs> you know, a number of years prior to that. And it turned out that a lot of the people that I worked with at the company theater were actually in it in non-porno roles. It was, <laughs> it was very strange. Um, but anyway, we did <clears throat> a lot of work um, with the miniatures and stuff on Terminator 2. Okay. We did Terminator 1, and we had a good relation, working relationship with Jim Cameron. Mm-hmm. And um, so he brought Terminator 2. Uh, to us yeah. when we did it and so i was you know lucky enough to to have my hands on that yeah and of course as a back then as a technical guy um the company wins the award you know uh-huh. and everybody stands around the little bowling trophy <laughs> and smiles and goes yeah yeah what do you think uh and um but it's still very damn bam, very damn exciting it's really exciting yeah, yeah. Well, i was gonna say i remember with the terminator uh, when, when terminator 2 came out uh, like like even though it's a it, you know it, it's a great movie and it, and it tells a very engaging story when I was 
I remember when it came out, everybody was just blown away by all the special effects, and like that was mm-hmm. kind of the the, the takeaway from from that movie. Well, it was it was um, it was a real challenge for me as the art director for the company, mm-hmm. and I you know and you know my Gene was always saying, yeah, you're the get dirty art director because I can't stand <laughs> to just stand around with my hands in my pockets. Yeah. I have to like give me that, you know. <laughs> I have to like paint. I have to like sculpt. I have to make things. Um, and we had a very long, I think I, that was the longest picture I worked on. I think I was on that picture for like 16, 18 months, oh, something like wow. that. Oh, wow. That's a really and long time. Very long time. We started early and built on things and built on things and built on things. So I basically, in the opening Future Wars segment where the, the you know, the flying HKs yeah. and, the, and the tanks and stuff were going, um, I, I made the little, I came up with a way to make the little crushable skulls, the little teeny ones. Yeah. Um, they were like little bird eggs. Um, and I figured out a way to do that. Um, I also figured out a chemical compound that we put in a 17 and a half foot long tanker truck to crack it in half, uh, and, and have the, the, the liquid hydrogen actually act like smaller. Um, so I needed a surfactant and everything else. Um, the day we shot that, I designed that set. That set was about 150 feet long. Um, and we had to match the old steel mill that was out in Fontana, which is Mm -hmm. now in China somewhere. Uh, but, um, so we, we had, but we bought all the, they, the production company had bought all the cars from the 20th century fire, 20th century Fox fire and used those as that parking lot of cars. And we had guys with cell phones in the cars and stuff, you know, just dead guys and skeletons and things. So we got to do the miniature foreground stuff and full size foreground stuff. Um, I sculpted the freeway, you know, and all that stuff that's in the shot and did the composite stuff and, it was just a lot of fun. Um, I even got to shoot some um, some st- uh, stop motion stuff of uh, where Arnold jumps off the truck and does a that kind of a forward oh, roll. Yeah. We did that with a stop motion puppet with uh, an amazing guy, uh, Sneaky Pete Kleinow, who was cool. actually one of the Flying Burrito Brothers <laughs> and a, a hell of an animator, you know. Um, but I don't think people realize or appreciate what's involved in a scene like that because. We were, there were three or four different effects companies that were working on the same shot. Yeah. And, you know, the foreground stuff was Stan Winston's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the midground stuff was our stuff. Some of the background stuff was our stuff. There was a couple of other shops that did this and that and the other thing. Yeah. We built the flying HKs and we built the tanks mm-hmm. and um, all of the hardware type stuff. And But when we shot that scene where our... Where our uh, uh, endoskeleton or exoskeleton or whatever you call it <laughs> um was animating across the set and um, stan winston's one is foreground you know the big head kind of looks at the camera and does all that stuff that was stan's and ours was the full size the, or the full body figure it was about two feet tall um to shoot that took forever because we would have to shoot a beauty pass uh-huh. then we would have to shoot a smoke pass mm-hmm. then we would have to shoot a special lighting pass <laughs> which is all the lit up stuff and burning embers and whatnot and then we had to shoot a pass with a, a, a red screen and then a pass with an orange screen <laughs> it was just keeping it tra- and it's a frame at a time it's like click click and then 45 minutes go by while you do all the prep oh, and wow. the next frame click click the only other thing i ever worked on that took as long to do the animation and stuff uh, was Ed Wood. Oh, um, cool. I designed the opening title sequence for that, and uh, we and built all that stuff. We painted everything That's in awesome. black and white, so it was actually all in <laughs> really in, cool. in monochrome. And um, there were times when there were, I guess we did when the headlight pass for all the little cars took about eighteen hours. Oh my goodness! Wow. That's cool. I was going to go, well, because uh, that's Tim Burton, right? Tim Burton, um, who's amazing, by the way. I was, I was, I was going to ask you that. Well, I, 
before you mentioned that, now I want to well, now I want to ask about Tim Burton. But I was going to ask about uh, James Cameron. How closely did he work with the with the art folks as far as? Well, he's he's very involved in everything because he's well he's he's a gigantic control freak. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, he happens to be very talented. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen any of his artwork, but he's an amazing illustrator. Oh, I had no idea. Oh, he's he, he is you know world class illustrator. Wow. He's really really good. And so you know when he draws it, you better build it that way. <laughs> um, because that's how he drew it, and yeah. there you go. Um, and he's 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 very exacting, and it's not for any other reason than he he knows what he wants, and he can show you what he wants. And um, that's important, you know. Uh, when a director who you know, I've worked with so many directors who are just all all airy fairy and everything, and they're like, oh, you know, I have this idea. It needs to look like something I've never seen. And it's like, Jim's not like that. He's like, okay, it looks just like this. You know, and that's what he expects you to do. And so yeah. in some ways, it's kind of easy. You know, yeah, he can cool. be a real dictator, but he gets some pretty darn good results. Yeah, like I know with the, uh, like, well, I guess with, with Avatar, that uh, he spent a lot, a lot of time making it because uh, I guess they had to create the technology mm-hmm. to get to get the, the the images that he wanted to make. It didn't exist yet. It was that. the same thing on 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 the abyss. Oh, no he and his brother invented a whole lot of stuff. I mean, in some ways, um, you know, it's like with Jacques Cousteau who invented the aqualung, uh-huh. right? Um, uh, Jim and his brother came up with ways of doing things underwater yeah. that had never been done. And um, and very ambitious. I mean, they built a submarine for God's sake. I mean, a real one. You know, a little sub to do stuff. Yeah. Um, specifically outfitted to do camera work underwater for motion pictures. Yeah, and you worked on the Abyss. Right? Oh yeah. 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 And uh, I art directed the models for Fantasy Two once again. There were again half a dozen shops working on things. Everybody's <laughs> right. making stuff. We retrofitted stuff other people made we made we did the uh, when you see the crane crashing down into the benthic explorer Mm -hmm. that crane is totally made out of lead and so that it bends like real metal and um it that that was a very effective scene that's Um, cool we we worked on that for quite some time and got it right um and working with the big ship was sort of difficult because originally the people who built it um obviously didn't know much about nautical anything <laughs> and so you have this giant floating very stable barge because it has twin hulls that are big billets of foam um just like a big ship like that a yeah. research ship would be it would have these giant air-filled tanks which would stabilize it um it was really stable but the problem is it was very hard to move because they had not bothered to put a motor in it mm-hmm. so you had to tow it around with a with a boat and that was really difficult <laughs> we had many many things we we shot out at bombay beach which is out um in the California desert. It's oh. near, well, when I say near Indio, it's within an hour to the set every day, thank <laughs> oh, you, okay. uh, from the motel. Um, yeah, we did all kinds of fun stuff on that. But we lost the set many times. It, you know, the mm. waves come up over there at night, sure. and you had better get out of the water. <laughs> um, and it's a very nasty location as well. It's very funky and gross. Yeah, I wonder if you know, I, 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 uh, I've read some that uh, I guess the, that uh, the next Avatar, I think, takes place underwater. And uh, Jim Cameron's working on that. Do you, have, do you happen to know anything about that? I don't know anything about that. That's uh, that's a big ton of top secret. I, ah. I don't. It's not that I, I wouldn't say. I just don't know. Yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, uh, there's a bunch more movies I want to ask you about, but my I know my mom wouldn't forgive me if I didn't <laughs> ask one more question about the Academy Awards. So, um, uh, uh, be, because the art department so uh, so big, did, did everybody get invited? Were you able to be part of the ceremony? Um, no, 
No, most of us were not. It was just the principals, the company principals, mm-hmm. because, you know, it was a company award and um, we all contributed. Yeah. Um, and um, they were nice enough to set up a photo shoot oh, so that we cool. could all be a part of, you know, here's our picture with, you know, the little bowling that's trophy really cool. and all of that. Yeah, it was nice. That's awesome. And, um, does it... Uh, uh, does it uh, does it help with the getting jobs after that? Does it? Does, I no, like... I, I had a hard time getting work after that because everybody thought oh, it would wow. be too expensive. Oh wow, that's interesting. I had a couple of people say, "Oh well, you know, you we, I can't afford you now." And I was like, <laughs> I, "You know, I still have to buy lunch. I still have to pay rent." You know, um, years ago when I was in um, when I was in high school, I, uh, I I attended a talk by Vincent Price. Who I adored as a you know just because what he is and um, I you know people were asking him actor questions and yeah. all of this and I said you know why why did you do all those really terrible films you know and he goes well it's because I'm inordinately fond of groceries <laughs> and I was like hmm all right see because it never occurred to me yeah. you know he, he you know I hadn't actually learned that most actors are poverty stricken yeah and that only a very few even some who seem fairly famous mm-hmm. are not really quite as as rich as yeah. everybody thinks. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and... I think about that a lot, like with actors, because you know, especially like if it's an actor who you know, you see him in you know, three, four movies a year, you almost get the impression that they have a job and they go to an office and they make movies. But it's really from from one movie to the next. Mm-hmm. It's sort of okay, this is my job now. But there's you know, for one movie, one movie could be their their last one, and then they've got, they've got to figure out you know how they're going to get a paycheck, or they might go a couple years between movies and mm-hmm. then between there. You know, it's it's not like they were making movies so they had to figure something out. Right, and because because of the sort of strangely unique position that you're in as an actor, you're a celebrity. Mm-hmm. People recognize you. <laughs> um, you have a certain amount of responsibility to kind of live up to your image, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of actors wind up getting falling down because you know they're maintaining this gigantic overblown image, yeah. and they're not working enough to really support you know this oh, multi-million sure. dollar lifestyle habit. Yeah, um, you see it in rock and roll a lot yeah. too. Oh yeah, um, you also see substance abuse and things like that, and that to me is it's a problem that's a part of being an emotional being, mm-hmm. and to to have to open yourself up and hatch out this delicate little baby chick that is your creation and still be hard-nosed enough to do everything else. The dichotomies for that, I mean, we've seen some serious disasters in recent Mm -hmm. years um, and we've lost some of the best talent in Hollywood because they just can't cope. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, probably one of the best actors ever. Uh, And, you know, he was a maintenance heroin addict um, his, pretty much his whole life off and on mm-hmm. and he wound up getting some you know black heroin and it put him oh. away and yeah. these things are this is horrible but again you know it's lifestyle yeah uh, you know John Candy guys like you know people who who you'd think wow this guy must be like totally happening and secure are frequently like really wondering where where is my next paycheck coming from yeah um, you know because maybe some off comment to the wrong person and suddenly you're a mm-hmm. pariah yeah yeah, I was even thinking, it's a little bit, I was thinking about professional sports, but it's still entertainment, I guess. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of those guys, um, you know, they, they'll make a lot of money in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they, you know, they're getting huge paychecks every month. And I guess it starts to feel like, oh, this is great. I'm going to be getting these paychecks forever. Mm-hmm. And then one day they're either too old to play or they blow out their knee or something happens. And the, the paychecks aren't coming, but they're still living like they are. And so many of those guys. Famous example, Al Cowlings. Mm. 
That's, uh, that, uh, but go ahead. I, I know the name, but help me out. That's the whole uh, the whole Simpson thing. He was yeah. the guy driving the, the slow speed chase. It was yeah. Al Cowling. Yeah. And Al was living in a little cruddy one bedroom apartment, you mm, know, yeah. after having been, you know, a pro football player. And again, pro football, same thing. People think, God, they all make millions. <laughs> no, the quarterback makes millions. <laughs> you want to know who really makes the money? The owners. Oh, yeah. And guess what? The NFL doesn't pay taxes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Interesting, huh? No a multi billion dollar business that pays no taxes. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, I know, like, even though it's like, because the NFL is such a brutal sport, I think the lifespan, like, if you're lucky, is maybe a three year mm-hmm. career, like, maybe. And uh, so if, you've, if you're collecting those checks for a couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, tuck them away. But a lot sure. of those guys, you well, know. Well, and you also have guys, I mean, if you're the quarterback or you're a star receiver or something like that, you're getting the big bucks. Oh, yeah. If you're a lineman or something like that or, a, you know, a, a, like a second string running back, yeah. you're not making the big coin. Um, years ago, um, I was, I, I used to know a football player from the Chicago Bears, Keith Van Horn. Okay. And, you know, Keith, I don't think he ever made over a hundred grand a year, hmm. um, which, you know, that's a fair amount of dough. But when you figure in the lifestyle requirements, yeah, um, and, you know, his career was pretty good as people go, mm-hmm. as that happens. But, you know, he's a guy who now has to basically shoot cortisone into his knees to walk. Oh, yeah. He has to, you know, crawl out of bed, get in the hot tub and soak for two hours before he can even wow. go anywhere. That's crazy. Because he's beat up. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, now there's this whole thing with concussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, a lot of people are calling for an end to high school sp- football, yeah. which is not going to fly oh, because no. let's face it, it's an American institution. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But you know it is a problem and yeah. and the and you're, you're dealing with you're dealing with drugs you're dealing with um with a kind of celebrity that is mm-hmm. that can be really fleeting mm-hmm. you know you might be a star quarterback and you get hit wrong it tears out your knee you're done your career's oh, over yeah. and all of a sudden nobody wants to answer the phone when you call <laughs> you know and it happens to actors as well yeah um there are a number of actors what well, i'm surprised it's never happened to uh charlie sheen oh <laughs> uh, for yeah. one uh, he seems to have made it into a career. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Almost despite his actions. Despite his actions, he's still a star. Yeah, which <laughs> is kind of funny. He can't seem to not make millions of dollars. Right. And, you know, we, we have many famous stars who have issues. Um, but a lot of it is because you're dealing with, as I said before, you're dealing with emotions. You're dealing with, you're turning yourself inside out mm-hmm. to a greater or lesser uh, effect. And to do that to yourself emotionally it's really, really hard. A lot of people think, oh, wow, great, being an actor. I want to do that. I make a million dollars. I have all the chicks. I you know, go to these parties. Right. Um, but if you saw Charlize Theron do Monster after Eon Flux, you know, here's this absolutely stunning, gorgeous woman, and she turns her into this self into this ugly, sweat hog, awful person. She was channeling Eileen Wernos in that film. She did such an amazing job. It's it's hard to believe. Mm-hmm. You see her and you're like, oh my god! But she had a lot of trouble, you know, and and it made her mm-hmm. it made her very uh, uncomfortable, and it was a very difficult role for her to do. And uh, she's done interviews and talked about it mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, 
you know, when you see an actor do things like that, you know, it's amazing. And then you've got guys like Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Who <laughs> is the weirdest method actor around. I mean, when he did My Left Foot and all those things, you know, he gets in there and lives it, you know. Yeah. Um, if he looks out the window and it's not what the character would have seen, he has the whole set cleared. And things. I mean, he's, <laughs> oh, he's a bit, a little extreme. Um, but again, he's a fabulous actor. He yeah. does an amazing, amazing job. That's, yeah, yeah. The product you get you get on, on screen is amazing, but... Yeah, who knew that there was so much? (laughs) Well, and you still, but you still have guys like Sir Anthony Hopkins, who I was fortunate enough to work with on Dracula. Oh, awesome! And um, he was fascinated by the miniatures, you know. (laughs) And I was, I was on set over at uh, where we were, twentieth, I guess, and uh, we had the 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 manor house, you know, set up with a it was a forced perspective, and you know they had the real the 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 real full size wall in front, and the carriage kind of goes in, cut. The next time you see it, it's a it's a model carriage rolling up on the uh, on a small house about six feet long, a couple feet high, yeah. and you know I'm standing there, you know, talking to my guys. I've got my laser pointer out. Now put that, that tree, put that tree over there, and I hear this, "Hello, can I talk to you for a moment?" And I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit!" You know, uh, because here's Sir Anthony Hopkins, you know, and it's like, "Oh my god!" And he was just like so interested and real. Yeah. But he comes from the other school, which is the English school of acting, which is you just learn to fake it so well <laughs> that you bring it every time you show up. And so, but again, he still brings yeah. oh, everything yeah. to his role. I mean, you know, uh, as Hannibal the Cannibal, we all just loved him because oh, you know, he was fabulous. Yeah. And then they did that gorilla thing, which <laughs> I'm sure Anthony wishes he could forget, too. Yeah, I, I just realized I have another question that, you know, on behalf of my mother, because she loves... Oh, mom, let's say mom's question. Yeah, she loves, she's, you know, uh, and, I, and I think I get this from her, like, she adores anything to do with celebrities, like anything, anything. So any, like, like the Anthony Hopkins story, ideal. She's going to love this episode already. Uh, and any other brushes with uh, with really interesting, you know, famous people uh, that uh, that would just make my mom terribly happy to hear about? Oh, well, yeah, it's been kind of fun. I've been blessed because I've been able to meet some interesting people, guys like Tim Burton. And um, when we did um, uh, Ed Wood, mm-hmm. you know, Tim came in for the big meeting. And, of course, he's got all the suits, you know, tagging along and, you know, yeah. running up his butt and everything else. And so Tim, when he showed up, because we had never met him, none of us had met him, uh-huh. and uh, uh, I was working for Boyington Films at the time, and um, he came in with the entourage, but the, it was a corporate entourage. It wasn't his real entourage. It was uh-huh. the you know it was the, all the suits. Yeah. And he was all kind of oh you know kind of Jack Sparrowy and real you know <laughs> oh and barely pay, making it sense and, uh, and all of stuff. And they all had to go to a meeting. They disappeared, and he was. And then he was like, "It was like night and day." He was like, "Okay, let's get to work. The fools are gone." You know, he was like, "Yeah, let's do this." And uh, so it was really, uh, you know, kind of neat uh, awesome. to work with a guy who who he's very creative, and he's and he's he's a little nutty. I mean, I think you have to be a little nutty to come up with the wonderful stuff that yeah. he came up with. And he and he, I think, uh, and again, you could probably speak to this way better than I can, but I think he started as sort of a, an art, an art design type mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. He started as an artist and, and, um, he, and he is a wonderful artist. His illustrations are really genius. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, and, and Tim's a very talented guy. Um, we really had fun working on that. Um, when the opening title sequence where you're going through the graveyard and all of that, um, he kept adding more people that he wanted in the opening title credits. So we had designed the palm trees that, you know, you hear that sort of kind of a beat, you know, thing with the bongo drums at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you see these palm trees and those palm trees go for 
whatever. You go down the palm tree, down the palm tree. Well, they started out and they were four feet tall. By the time we actually shot the final version of that, <laughs> they were almost nine feet tall because we had to have that much real estate to, to boom <laughs> down to get all the titles in. Yeah. And then we had a whole thing with legal because as we're going up to the, the, the headstones, a couple of the actors management and agents were like, well, you can't be moving on their card. Their card has to be still. Well, the nature of the shot was not such that you, Tim did not envision it as being as having these stops in it. It was yeah. supposed to be this continuous, smooth, slowing down and speeding up thing. Mm -hmm. So we got to the point where we just said, okay, look, what we will do is we will slow down and it will continue to move, but it will hover, you know, because stopping dead, we can't do that. It's going to just ruin this whole scene and and tim was like okay fine and we had to of course we had to add, add people in because there were additional people that you know he, he had starting having a, a relationship with one of his actors and uh, so we had to put her headstone in and <laughs> you know all of that kind of thing uh lisa murray and some of the other things were like that you know we just yeah. had to keep going and keep going and keep going and things like that happen and it, it's just really funny but he was he was wonderful that's awesome. Uh, uh, Chanel just walked in. I'm going to go grab her. Chanel, can you hear me? Yes, I can. <laughs> I'm going to go grab Chanel really quickly because I wanted to. I love you, big boy. <laughs> am I being summoned? Yeah, yeah, come on over, girl. That was a remarkable impression, Tim. <laughs> I know, wasn't it? Hi, yeah. I'm Chanel. So, 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 Hi. Nice Hi. Nice so, so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. He was just talking about working with Tim Burton. Oh, man. Ask him about Morgan Freeman, too. <laughs> uh, tell me, I, I hear word on the street. Uh, you have a story about Morgan Freeman. Uh, no, I have no, no, I have no God idea what he's talking about. Damn it! <laughs> he, he. I think he's confused a different story. All right. Actually. <laughs> well, anyway, um, got it was Hopkins. Maybe it was Anthony Hopkins. Well, Hopkins was awesome. Yeah, I Do you see say. how quickly he's through with me? Like, just like that. He's all like, there, Chanel. You're dismissed. All right. well, you're come, dismissed. I didn't even get the Tim Burton story. He come, just told uh, me that I missed it. Come say hello on the microphone for, right. for the good people who like listening to you. Hello on the microphone, good people. All right, now we're done with you. <laughs> now we're done. I'm fabulous. <laughs> oh, don't change. You're just that's, fabulous that's the way you are. Oh. <laughs> I need to do some soul searching. I'll Why didn't that. I think of that? <laughs> God damn it. See, you got to be on this stuff, dude. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. There's a whole bunch of movies I want to get oh, to. Oh, that's fine. Um, yeah. Let's see. Man, there's some good ones on here. Uh, well, The Faculty, that's uh, Robert Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. He's a pretty cool dude. Did, did you Robert have... is amazing. Yeah. Tell me about him. Um, well, okay. We did uh, the uh, a lot of the uh, effect stuff. We did the miniature gym the, where the monster is crushed beneath the the uh the the bleachers yeah. right we had to build working bleachers and all of that on in a miniature and it was about i guess it was about 20 feet square yeah. and um so we built that and the thing about robert that's nice is that he's very unassuming mm. he's a very normal person yeah um and he just first of all i'm a huge fan because of his attitude which is you know his attitude is like why are you spending thirty thousand dollars to go to fucking <laughs> film school take that 30 grand and make a movie yeah you will know how to make a movie by the time you're done it might not be the best movie ever but you know what you're going to know more than anybody that just graduated oh, yeah, from man. that film school and he's right i yeah. mean when you when you read you know his book uh you know uh rubble without a crew uh, -huh. uh 
you go, oh my God, you know, <laughs> this is how I like to work. I, yeah. I, you know, and I've, I've had this fantasy that at some point I would actually get to work with him, like yeah. as an actor or as oh, a designer yeah, yeah. or something. I never had a chance to do that. I mean, I, I worked on the faculty as, you know, I was art directing the models. It was no yeah. big deal. I had very little contact, yeah. but he did come down and look at stuff and, and talk with us. And, and he was just really unassuming and very nice. Yeah. You know, he, uh, he liked what we were doing. And uh, he just pretty much left us to do it. That's cool. Actually, I was going to ask you, because I always think about this with uh, with directors, because I know, well, I imagine there's diff- different types of directors, like like you say, Jim Cameron, uh, kind of a, con- a control freak. But I think, as you say, uh, he very much has a vision for what he's doing. Yeah, he knows exactly what he wants. And, uh, and I imagine there's uh, other directors... Um, uh, well, I guess right now I'm thinking of, of, of Woody Allen, who maybe is more thinking about story and performance and very much... Uh, like I know with the actors, he kind of lets the actors kind of do what they do. And I wonder maybe it's like that with the other stuff. Um, uh, and in your, uh, I, I think I might've already lost my question, just kind of setting up to it. But I think I was just going to ask you a question about like working with directors and uh, how much, uh, how much uh, input, again, cause it's a director, the, the, the movie is their vision. Uh, how much directors generally sort of, you know, um, uh, impart on you guys to sort of like Jim Cameron do it like this or well i think tim burton is was a really good example because when we were doing all that stuff i you know i designed the the, the hollywood and all that stuff and the, the little house that you fly into and you see you know creswell you know doing his prediction and all of that mm-hmm. um we basically tim looked at, at my drawings and you know our concept sketches for yeah. the sets and how how that was all going to go and um, he really liked him, and he said, "Yeah, you guys seem to have it." We showed him, you know, a couple of test effects tests, and he was like, "Perfect, I love it." You know, you guys are making me look good. That's fine. <laughs> um, he was happy to 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 be, you know, pretty much hands off yeah. because he had had the concept. He said, "This is what we need." Um, we did the, you know, the really bad Ed Wood flying saucers and stuff. I. Uh, <laughs> I actually made a gift of one of the flying saucers to Tim, um, and. Uh, you know, because uh, we watched, you know, I watched Plan 9 uh, about <laughs> half a dozen times. Uh-huh. And, um, it, you know, and it is dreadful. Uh, but it's wonderful <laughs> at the same time because because it is so dreadful. You know, that's part of what's wonderful about it. And um, with with uh, a lot of the directors, I think a lot of directors don't understand practical effects very well. Yeah. So in the modern digital age, it's in some ways it's a little easier um, because they can say, oh, I want flames to shoot out of his ass. And you're like, okay, flames out of the ass. That's, you know, you know, shift F10 and, you know, I move the dot over to his ass and boom, it goes from there to there, boom, and there you got fire. It's not quite that simple, but that's the basic yeah. idea. When you're doing with practical effects, you have to think about it a lot mm-hmm. because you have to say, okay, I am going to have to get these nine guys. These nine guys are going to have to work for three months to make mm-hmm. this and it will only do these three things. Those nine guys also make this, which will do these three things, or maybe even one thing. And mm-hmm. you can't, it's very difficult to change gears once you're moving and once, yeah. the, once the inertia begins. Um, and so a lot of times directors have a lot of trouble because many directors come from uh, privileged environments mm-hmm. and they usually don't, not always, but they don't usually have a lot of practical experience in in the real world of how things are made and how right. things are you know created, and so they have unrealistic expectations, and that's where you occasionally run into trouble. Where you have guys like Jim Cameron who 
is a practical guy. He can make things. Mm -hmm. He does make things. He's an inventor. He's an engineer. Um, you know, I suspect that he's probably a hell of a machinist. Uh -huh. um, just because he's good with his hands and he understands those things. Um, it doesn't stop him from making outrageous demands, but he never makes a demand that he doesn't think can be done. Yeah. And I were, have worked with a number of directors who um, who couldn't find their butt if it was on fire with both hands. And, you know, those guys have the most outrageous ideas about what's possible and what's not possible. And um, fortunately, I haven't had a, too many of those guys, but I'm seeing more and more of those guys because... Everybody has the idea, well, we'll just fix it in post. Uh -huh. Well, um, I'm kind of old school in, you know, the Alfred Hitchcock school of, you know, I believe that the storyboard is God. Yeah. Okay, You make your storyboards. If you can look at your storyboards, Walt Disney, another guy who was totally into storyboards. Yeah. You make storyboards and you make drawings. And if in Alfred Hitchcock's case, his storyboards are literally shot by shot and when you see his boards they are very <laughs> slightly different from what you see on the screen yeah, that's awesome. and you know with a lot of directors they they don't want to be tied down to the storyboard <laughs> well then what that does is that basically shoots the editor in the face mm -hmm. because the editor is like oh and now what am i supposed to do now i have to flip you know 14 pieces of footage that have signage in them thanks <laughs> you know i now have to flip all that stuff digitally and I don't think that a lot of directors understand that where they're spending a lot of money, mm -hmm. and I mean a lot of money, is on the fact that they can't make up their mind and they don't know what they want to start with. Mm -hmm. um, I call them catalog shoppers. I'll, I'll know <laughs> it when I see it. Show me something I've never seen before. <laughs> How about my dick? You know, um, but when you deal with those guys, it's very frustrating as an artist yeah. and as a designer and as a director. I mean, I've done my own. I've done a couple of films of my own, and uh, little tiny things. Yeah, nothing yeah. fabulous. And, um, Anything that uh, the people could find? No. Okay. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I, I've done a couple of little docs. And so gotcha. I did a thing on uh, George Van Tassel, oh, cool. uh, who was one of the pioneer UFO guys. He, okay. he actually started the whole UFO convention thing out oh, at wow. Giant Rock. Anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think dealing with directors is always tricky because you don't know who you're going to get. I mean, you know, it's like life is like a box of chocolates. You don't know whether right. you're going to get nuts or fruits. Uh <laughs> And uh, sometimes you get both. <laughs> um, that I guess that's all I have to say on directors who, who who don't do their homework. Yeah. And and guys like Rodriguez, they do their homework. Mm -hmm. He's he's very loose. His he's got a very um, if you if you, if we were writing a horse, you would say that he has calm hands. Uh -huh. You know, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't uh, get crazy. He thinks it through you know when you see mariachi yeah and you realize he made that movie for 7500 bucks <laughs> that he got by going through you know medical experiments to get <laughs> while he wrote the script it's like holy moly dude really <laughs> and you meet this guy he's very unassuming he's very sweet he's very nice um i have never heard him raise his voice i can't say that about jim <laughs> uh because you know what day is it now what time is it now <laughs> Uh, so, you know, you, you have to, like anything else, when you're working with somebody, it's like having a boss who is either really cool and understands what's going on or is um, a total tyrant and mm -hmm. doesn't understand what's going on or is just a dickhead and is just a fool. And that happens a lot. So you never really, you never really know what you're going to get. And if you get somebody great, you're always so thankful. Um, and like I say, Jim may be a lot of things, but um, he is 
a true genius and he really he understands film on a on a level that a lot of people just don't even can't even mm-hmm. imagine and um so it's good to work with a guy like that that's awesome uh well i'll tell you we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up in a minute because you've been awfully generous with your time up to this point no um but anything uh well we talked about uh, naked alien massacre mm-hmm. uh anything that uh that, that you're kind of working on coming up that you're excited about uh, on top of that that uh um well i'm working on a couple of things um i'm writing some things i'm uh, you know uh i'm a writer in the sense that i i love writing and i yeah. love word yeah and um and uh incorrect punctuation and grammar really make me insane <laughs> Tim. Anyway, so but I've been I have a couple of little screenplays that I'm working on. And I've cool. got a couple of books in the in the you know oh, awesome. in the hopper. I'm working on a I'm also working on a vampire thing. Oh, which very I'm pretty cool. excited about. Um, I want to make uh, a film about a character that I created years ago, um, Raven Jake Dawes. Okay, and uh, that reference I, I'm always amazed when people actually get that reference, what that comes from. Um, it's from Shakespeare, actually. Okay. And um, a jackdaw is a raven. And um, at one point, I'm very good with animals. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I had a a raven land next to me on a park bench. And within five minutes, he was in my lap. And I was scratching under his wings and all (laughs) that stuff. And so I came up with this thing. And um, I was working with a a producer out in uh, Palm Springs who wanted to do like a travel log and it, it didn't really gel. It was one of those products that never really gelled. Yeah. So I kind of ran with it and started doing a blog. Um, and unfortunately I've been very busy and I haven't had time to get back to oh, that yeah. much, yeah. but I've been writing a piece of, for him more or less as a character. It's not really him mm-hmm. as, as originally as I'd created him yeah. where he is, uh, he's a vampire Cool. And um, there are a number of you know unusual and odd characters. He he picks up a thrall, mm-hmm. uh, who is this you know perverse um, and just really a real sick freako, and he's a um, he's an undertaker, <laughs> and he's also a necrophiliac, and you know some of these other things kind of go on, and and, yeah. and so I, I'm very interested in in that kind of genre. That's awesome. Stuff. Yeah, I love that stuff. And uh, so I'm, I'm working on some things. That's great. Well, as soon as uh, any one of those things are done, uh, I would be thrilled to have you back to talk about that again. Oh, I'd love to. It'd be great. All right. Well, uh, it's been great having you, Jared. It was, it was a pleasure meeting you, and it was really, really awesome talking to you. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be had. <laughs> Thanks so much, brother. I'll, I'll see you again very soon. Take care. Well, there you go. Jared Poyava. The only thing missing from that conversation, as far as I'm concerned, is it wasn't long enough. Because the truth is, I could have talked to Jared all night. And uh, and really, he was such a nice guy, I bet he would have let me. But, but you know, uh, my hope is that uh, I'll have him on the show again. You know, we had a really nice time sitting and chatting, and he was a terribly nice guy. So, uh, so I'm sure that, you know, when the time comes, he'll be... He'll be open to coming back and, and talking on the show. And I would love to talk to him about some of the other movies he's worked on that we didn't even have a chance to touch. But after we finished recording, uh, you know, Jared, uh, Jared hung out for a little bit and, you know, we talked some more. And, you know, Chanel had an opportunity to, to sort of, you know, uh, properly meet him and not just sort of a, a, a brief sort of, you know, impromptu invitation uh, in the middle of our conversation, but actually have a chance to kind of, you know, meet him and talk to him. And he was just a, an absolute sweetheart with Chanel. And so now Chanel, she just adores uh, Jared. 
And so Chanel, you know, Chanel just adores Jared because, you know, he's, you know, just just a great guy. And I got a Godzilla egg. Holy shit. I got an egg from uh, from the movie Godzilla. Now, now, funny thing, I don't know if it comes out during the conversation, but, you know, when we were talking and uh, and he presented me with this really cool gift, it. You know, and I didn't realize it was a gift because I think I was so overwhelmed that he brought, you know, a, a piece of movie, movie memorabilia to this, to, you know, to my, you know, to my home that, I, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, he's he's showing it to me. And again, even if he was just showing it to me, I was thrilled to actually look at it and, and you know, hold it and, and, and talk about it. And then I think it wasn't until after the interview, you know, once we stopped recording and then we were just kind of hanging out, I went to give the egg back to him. And he was like, oh, no, no, that's for you. And I was so, so thrilled and, and honored that he would, you know, uh, that he would give me this gift. Because, again, you know, we didn't know each other before this conversation, so he had no reason to to be so generous with me. Uh, but but he gave me this egg and it was so kind of him. And I've got the egg. It's uh, I've actually got it displayed right now on my on my bookshelf. So. Uh, so if you come over, the first thing you see is the bookshelf. So now, now the first thing you'll see, along with the bookshelf, is my Godzilla egg, displayed right there for you. Oh, you know the <laughs> the only thing that I also forgot to to follow up on. But again, you know, next time I talk to Jared, I'll ask him about it. Is a uh, very early in our conversation, he talked about you know uh, being a kid in school. And sort of getting, uh, I guess, getting teased a little bit because, you know, he'd gone through something of a growth spurt. And so he, he mentioned uh, throwing a kid through a window and then all the teasing stopped. And so I made a note, you know, a mental note that I was going to I was going to ask him about it later. You know, once we talked about some other stuff and then I didn't re- I didn't think about it until uh, afterwards that uh, that I forgot to ask him about that. So that so. But anyway, again, you know, planting seeds gives us uh, one more interesting story for Jared to share next time he's on the show. Uh, anyway, uh, before I get out of here, I'll just remind you that uh, if you have any shopping to do, do it on Amazon and do it through the website on martinlestrapshow.com. In fact, here's what you should do. Uh, even if you don't have any shopping plan, what you should do is you should buy some of the movies that Jared worked on. In fact, if you only buy one movie that Jared worked on, you may as well buy Terminator 2, Judgment Day, that's the that's the movie he won an Academy Award for. So 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 go buy Terminator 2 Judgment Day on Amazon. In fact, I'll even make it easier for you. Uh, I'll I'll put a link to to Terminator 2 Judgment Day on the website. So go to martinlestrapshow.com, click on the shop page, and you'll see a link there of uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. But then if you want to do more Amazon shopping, you can you can click the banner on the website. And by doing that, what happens is all the shopping that you do, uh, whatever money you spend, uh, we here at the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, we get a small percentage of that. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't add any cost to your shopping. It's just a small percentage that we get for uh, for helping to advertise Amazon.com on the show. And, you know, we take the money and we reinvest it into the show and we make it uh, as good of a show as we can possibly make for you. So any shopping you can do, if you do it through the show, it it uh, it really does make a difference, and we really do appreciate it here. So before I go, let me thank Jared Poyava one more time for being uh, a guest here on the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. Uh, as always, if you guys want to get in touch with me, uh, the the fastest and easiest way is you can hit me up on Twitter. And of course, don't forget, uh, if you go to the website, martinlestrapshow.com, 
you can sign up for the mailing list and uh, every now and again you'll get a newsletter getting updates uh, updates not just on uh, the podcast but also updates on any of my writing projects any uh, any events I've got going on any appearances I might have coming up uh, whether it's a reading or, or just a talk so anyways guys uh, thanks as always for joining me and until next time I will see you on the other side